Sam. What a week. <laughs> what what a week. I am what a week. shattered. I'm absolutely shattered, <laughs> but fulfilled. I'm smiling from ear to ear. I've had the most amazing week. I am so tired and I can't tell if I'm excited or nervous that it's not stopping. Yeah. This wasn't a one-off. It's happening this week. <laughs> no, I'm delighted. At the end of the star beast i was thinking like oh my gosh like the come down from this is going to be horrific like i'm going to feel so low on sunday now it's all over and then i'm like but it's not all over like (laughs) i forgot like there's two more then there's christmas so it's really not all over but in my head it's i'm so used to us getting like a tiny nibble then months off air then a tiny nibble Mm -hmm. then a year off air and i'm just i'm shocked That we're back to kind of like weekly viewing, even just for three weeks is weird. It's so weird prepping for an episode of Hula La for an episode that has just come out, especially one that features some of our favourite characters. Like, it's wild to me. Yeah, it's been a huge week. We had the Gallifrey Cabaret on Wednesday night. That was a real bumper edition. And we've done, I'd say a little video, but it's a good five minute video. And um, it was just, it was just a hit after hit after hit after hit. It was incredible. And we had so many great little cameos. We had in real life, Katie Manning. We had Mm -hmm. Bonnie Langford record a little video. We had Georgia Tennant record a little video. And then the video was Russell T Davies and the scream that went up in the room. You can see it at Hulala Pod. We put it on our X account. Mm -hmm. We put it on our Instagram account. You can go and watch. The reaction was seismic because for Reese and Carrot, who are the creators and organizers of the Gallifrey Cabaret, I think like our one wish for them because they are such true superstars such gems knowing them is like it feels like you know celebrities because they just have radiate star power (laughs) like they feel like people who should be famous yeah they are just so immensely talented and special people it was just such an amazing night seeing all the different performers uh, some of my favorites uh, there's a drag queen called her who did a jackie tyler number yes that was incredible there was also an act who did the whole thing as the wire and again as always i, I keep saying our partners aren't doc two fans not really aware of it they are very quickly becoming aware <laughs> because of having mm-hmm. us to mm-hmm. with them uh, but trying to like softly explain to them why this person dressed as the wire with a mic going can i get a feed me and all of the gays going feed me (laughs) why that's so funny uh to their blank faces was really entertaining to me that was so funny the wire kept like going to the audience like what's your name sarah well it doesn't matter sarah because i'm gonna eat you and i was like yeah it was just (laughs) i mean all of it was really special and then so we had that Then we had Bargain Hunt Day, which was surreal. And we Mm -hmm. saw ourselves, well, I saw myself and my sister on BBC One doing Bargain Hunt. I was so nervous when it was on. I was honestly, I was like, Mm. I had adrenaline going all the way through my body. I could feel it in my fingers and toes. I was so (laughs) nervous. And it was really funny because my sister kept screenshotting me hate comments from Twitter, which weren't from like Doctor Who fans. (gasps) They were from like- They were just Bargain Hunt fans. (laughs) They were Bargain Hunt fans. They hated it. Regular Bargain Hunt fans were like, who are these two? And there was this one guy- who from his profile picture is like in his 70s and his first tweet was like some very annoying haircuts on bargain hunt this week and they did a follow-up one and it was like annoying voices too <laughs> and it was like oh and i'm not done yet <laughs> you know came back for another tweet. Say. there was someone else or someone else was like oh like terrible purchases from the blue team oh they've got no idea what they're doing and then later followed up with 
I admit I was wrong. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> made a profit, oh got the golden gavel. It was so good. It was so funny. And then in the evening, we had the Dalek's colorization, which was a yeah. whole, I thought that was amazing. It's very divisive online where there's some real purists of classic Doctor Who where they're mm-hmm. like, they cut it down by like half the length. They cut out these characters. They did this, they did that. There's a montage in there, which I just think is the campus thing. I agree it is very quickly paced, but it's like going through their plan and Susan like fakes freaking out and has like a quick wink to camera to this like heist music which is very yeah. like 60s inspired yeah and I just thought it was the campus thing I think it was really well cut together for someone who isn't going to sit and watch because it's seven episodes it's about three hours long if you're going to watch the entire story yeah. and I just think it was a lot more digestible and the thing is it's right there next to the original Daleks on iPlayer you can watch the original if you want but just I watch just, the original one I just thought it was so fun I can't wait there was a gorgeous trailer like coming up at the end of it where they mm. did like a super cut of the rest of William Hartnell's era going into Patrick Troughton's and that it colorized as well and that was just fantastic that was a fantastic excellent word it was so much more than i thought it would be i think i was expecting you know literally like a chopped down and colored version of the daleks i didn't expect they would manage to add so much character to it it felt like Mm-hmm. wherever they kind of inserted a bit of soundtrack and they made these really creative choices with the color as well it wasn't yeah. like just a literal colorization there was a lot of like real stylistic choice in there as well it felt like it all mm-hmm. really helped communicate like this is what the intention was with this this is one way you can mm-hmm. read this scene and that made it really interesting for me yeah and there were nice ways that they brought in modern elements without feeling like they were changing it too much so they added a score but it wasn't like they just slapped a Murray Gold soundtrack on there it was like to the theme but then they added like the exterminator blasts for the yeah, Daleks yeah, and yeah, yeah. some ice stalk shots that were like kind of emblematic of the new ones and when the Daleks head would turn they'd add like little noises like a little yeah that was fantastic that was a treat Friday we got a brief break and at that point I was starting to feel a bit insane because Doctor Who had sort of been the thing <laughs> like stuck on loop in my head for so long that it was beginning to feel like ruminating like like I was like, I'm actually like stuck on Doctor Who. I need to like actually now no, like, I know. consume some other media or just like touch grass for a minute because I'm starting to feel weird. And then the event was obviously the screening mm-hmm. for the Star Beast yes. and a bit of a manic day kind of getting ready for it, hosting for mm-hmm. it, having people over, which I've always wanted to do. I mean, the event, we built up to it. We we made some really lovely snacks you made meat mm. cupcakes which were beautiful we had a little adipose marshmallows we had oud marshmallows oud marshmallows as well with strawberry lace mouths mm-hmm. we had sonic screwdriver i don't know what it was i mean i'd say cocktails but you made like a mixing bowls worth well it was it was cocktails but then you were like should we just have it like a punch bowl and people yeah. can serve themselves really and i was strong. like sure which was definitely the way to go it was very strong it was strawberry vodka which is blue mixed with cloudy lemonade and blue cure I'm not going to gatekeep the recipe. You can make them at home. I'd love to see your photos. And you had gloriously bought all these glasses and cups and stuck Doctor Who stickers on mm-hmm. them all so everyone could choose which one they would have, which actually yes. was really good because everyone kept asking. It was really helpful. It helped people find their cups. Yeah. We're not going to get into the whole episode recap right now. But what I will say is the experience of watching Doctor Who with friends, and I feel so lucky that I've been able to make friends through Doctor Who in the last year, has mm-hmm. just been the most like magical thing. To meet people who love this show as much as we do, it's just such a such a gift. You sitting next to me, me just like, mm-hmm. I was gripping your arm at We some were point, clinging like, to each other. <laughs> Euphoric, that's what it, it was. was. Like It was one of those, like yeah. it was like a spiritual experience. It was so surreal being there and like just being in a room with people having like a shared love of something like that 
was mm-hmm. was really really amazing and like knowing that it was a true live experience that everyone was having together was was i don't know something really nice about that i loved it so what we're going to do for now is we're going to do a little bit of context about the episode we're going to do a recap of the story and then because we don't want to be the only ones telling you what we thought of the episode we've also asked some of you what you thought exactly so the star beast aired just the other day it's so weird doing one so recent this is so weird it's so weird on the 25th of november 2023 less than a week ago i can't believe we're not talking about a 15 year old episode (laughs) uh the overnight viewing figures were 5.08 million which the radio times reported was the biggest drama launch of 2023 which i think is a massive feat given that it's november i don't want that to be like understated yeah it currently has an imdb score of 7.8 out of 10 and we don't normally talk about this but we wanted to give the letterbox score as well which is a 3.7 out of 5 yeah it's a really interesting one with viewing figures and it really proves a point that a lot of people have been making for a long time about the way that we consume television so a lot of people wanted to point to viewing figures for chibnall episodes and said well there you have it. You know, people don't watch Doctor Who anymore. It's dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, this shows that, you know, a lot has also changed in terms of the way that we consume television. So obviously a lot of people yeah. don't watch TV overnight. If you look at the viewing figures on the same night for Strictly Come Dancing, it is massive. <laughs> it's like, you know, seven, mm-hmm. eight million. And the reason for that is like you have an audience who religiously watch shows live like Strictly Come Dancing would not watch it on catch up um and I'm sure the consolidated viewing figures would be really interesting for Doc 2 when we get yeah. there then we get a seven day and then we get like a 30 day figure or something like that yeah. and that's like the final figure um but it was the biggest Doc 2 overnight figure since the 2019 New Year's special resolution yeah biggest drama mm-hmm. launch of the year wild amazing well look we're not going to hold you back any further if you haven't watched the episode yet please I implore you go and I play it it's in glorious glorious 4k which Ooh. is amazing But if you have already seen it and you perhaps want a refresher, here's a quick recap of the story. The story begins with the 14th Doctor recalling the adventures he once had with Donna Noble. After she absorbed a Time Lord's consciousness in their last adventure together, he had to wipe her memories of him to save her life. Donna tells us that she knows something is missing from her life. In present-day London, the Doctor bumps into Donna, who doesn't recognise him. She's with Rose, her teenage daughter. A spaceship crashes in the sky above them, which Donna completely misses. Donna and Rose head off together, and Sean Temple, Donna's husband, arrives in his taxi. The Doctor persuades Sean to take him to the crash site, asking about Donna on the way, claiming to be a friend of Neris. At the crash site, the Doctor meets Unit's new scientific advisor, Shirley Ann Bingham. She sends a squad of soldiers to secure whatever's inside the ship. Inside is a glowing light that appears to possess them. The Doctor leaves to explore the escape pod. On the way home, Rose is harassed by boys who call her by her dead name, leaving Donna furious. Sylvia, Donna's mum, is desperate to prevent Donna from remembering the Doctor and says there's no such thing as a spaceship. Outside, Rose has discovered a creature named the Meep and shelters them. Donna discovers the Meep, yelling in horror that there's a bloody Martian in the shed. Silver is horrified and insists that everyone is hallucinating. Even worse, <laughs> the Doctor has appeared at the front door. The Doctor and the Noble family discuss what to do with the Meep, who claims that Meepkind are hunted for their fur by the Wrath Warriors. Soon, the soldiers are on the scene, and the family is caught in the crossfire between the Wrath Warriors unit and the possessed soldiers working for the Meep. The family escape, and after a short trial in an underground car park, realise that the Meep is evil. Back at the crash site, the Doctor realises that the Meep ship has catastrophic potential to destroy London when it takes off. Shirley helped the Nobles escape, but Donna stays to follow the Doctor, using his name for the first time. The Doctor begins to deactivate the ship, but the control room is split in half by the Meep. With Donna trapped on one side, the only way to save London is to reactivate the Doctor Donna, who will have the knowledge to use the controls. Donna agrees to sacrifice herself, understanding that this solution will kill her. 
The Dr. Donna regains her memories and reverses the ignition, and to everyone's shock, doesn't die. It's revealed that Rose has absorbed some of the Metacrisis when she was born, and as Donna's mental block fell away, helped dilute and slow the damage of the Metacrisis. With the meat captured, Rose and Donna choose to release the knowledge of the Time Lord, allowing Donna to retain her memories and take one last trip in Metardis with her best friend to visit Wilf. However, chaos soon ensues when Donna does it again and pours a cup of coffee on the console, causing the newly redesigned TARDIS to burst into flames and take off. So who's the boss? Where in time and space are Donna and the Doctor about to land? Why did Donna spill her coffee? And why did this face come back? To say goodbye. <laughs> Woohoo! Okay, what a recap, what a recap. There was a lot in there, guys. Well, I'm for sticking with it. Should we listen to some listeners' thoughts before we give our own? Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of us chatting on this episode. We wanted to make sure we heard from you. So we reached out to you on our Twitter slash X and Instagram account and asked for your thoughts. And here's what some of you had to say. We've had this voice note sent in to us from Liam Rice. So I also absolutely loved it. Um, I would also give it a 10 out of 10. Although I have like small critiques, they're not or haven't taken away my overall feeling of the episode, which was obviously just fun, full of love, laughter, loved it. It was great. The title sequence, love. I think arguably my favourite yet, question mark. Um, I thought that was really well done. I think the dynamic for me between Donna and her family was what, I missed about Doctor Who, not specifically Donna and her family, but the family dynamics. Um, I think having that back and just bringing the character of the companion in the episode, whoever that may be, a, a bit a bit more full circle. So I really enjoyed having Sylvia and introducing Rose. Um, I thought Rose's kind of storyline was not only... It was slightly on the nose for me, but there were moments that were questionable in terms of being a bit silly, but that's what kind of Doctor Who it is. Um, I was kind of wondering what the, you know, the plot would be to, around Donna and the fact they made it around Rose and her storyline and linked it together to solve the issue that was obviously Donna losing her memories. I thought that was really fun. Um, I'm really glad that we have Donna back, at least for now. I am slightly worried about the future of the next couple of episodes. Um, obviously, Beep the Meep saying about his boss... And we know that the toy maker's coming back. I got weird vibes around Donna at the end when she threw the coffee on the console. Although that's very Donna, it was very much like, hmm, is something else at play here? What's going on? Very interesting. Very interesting. I, I get what you mean there. I think it's a very Donna thing to be clumsy, but that was... Donna chucked that coffee and either that was like a very well-delivered comedy bit or there's something afoot. Yeah, exactly. And even things like, you know, the TARDIS has faced a bashing on more than one occasion. Having a cup of coffee spilled over a brand new TARDIS console, I don't know. I think I've got laptops that would survive that, so... <laughs> and erupt into flame like that, huh? Uh-huh. But no, I agree with you on so much. I think the, the companion family dynamic is definitely something that I've missed the Doctor. I know that we got to know, like, for example, Yaz and Ryan's family, but it just didn't feel like it was in the same way. And certainly, I think in Stephen Moffat's series, it suffered from, like, Amy's parents barely being in it at all, Clara's family sort of dipping very loosely in and out. I think having time to really spend with the companion's family and flesh them out as characters really does benefit the story. Absolutely. So we've got one more voice note, which was sent in from Brad. One of the things, um, like, I instantly noticed was how strong the dialogue was. Like, everything is sharp and witty and quick. And that was my main takeaway. And the writing, I thought, was really compelling. And one of the things Russell C. Davis does really well is humour in Doctor Who. 
standout moment for me in the episode was Sylvia's interaction with David Tennant. I thought it was so, so funny. Oh, completely agree with Sylvia. I love the scene where she turns around and sees the doctor knocking and she's like, you. you. <laughs> There's an edit on Twitter so where good. someone's put the Prowler theme from Spider-Man over Sylvia. <laughs> There's so much there as well about like Jacqueline King earned her cash in these 11 steps and it was it was so good. <laughs> I agree, the humour is always on point. I think the jokes tend nine out of 10 times to land really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I really, really loved about this story. It, it made me laugh a lot in the right places. Yeah. Let me tell you something about a suit that tight. You can wear it up to the age of 35. And no further. Said with like genuine concern, like, let me tell yeah. you something. <laughs> I'm telling this for your benefit. <laughs> <laughs> for your benefit. Let me say this now. Right, here we go. So if you're new to Hulala, we talk about our highs and lows, and that doesn't capture everything, so we've had to add in some mixed points or neutral <laughs> points as well, which isn't quite so snappy. Um, so we'll go semi-chronologically, and I'll open with a high for me is the brand new titles. I remember this came on, and I wish I'd almost recorded some reactions of the room so that I could segment this in, um, but I was just too distracted by the whole thing going on. And... I was dazzled by the new the new titles. And every time they see them come off my phone, I want to watch it again. I love mm-hmm. the way that the TARDIS kind of like surfed the vortex and it kind of skates and flips and spins from side to side. The way it drops down, we get a top-down perspective. The way the vortex mm-hmm. also looks like it's got a bit like the Jodie era already, all these different branching tunnels going off in different directions. Like it's a terrifying place you could get lost in the way that there's all these like multicolored mists and swirls mm-hmm. and it's it feels like you know something you could reach out and kind of wave your hand through <laughs> but it was really cool the one flop the caveat for me where mm-hmm. everyone went um was when the 60th diamond logo kind of spat oh my in. god in the viewing party there was just like a collaborative like Oh, um, it was really funny because everyone was going, yeah, whoa, oh my God. Um, and everyone went, oh, together at the same point yeah. with the logo span in. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty uh, pretty unanimous feeling that that was a bit of a flop. Yeah, I've got that in my mixed section for the title sequence because I go with you. Visuals, adore. I love the colour palette they've chosen. I love it's like cloudy, misty, ethereal. I saw someone online saying, I saw a few people online saying that they didn't like that there were cuts in it because it's always been like you're following the TARDIS. Oh, right. okay. But I love the cuts. I, I really like liked cuts. it. I, I love watching like the bottom of the TARDIS brush against the mist. One thing that I didn't like about it is that the text of like the names and the title itself they're not in sync to the theme like how it's ever been there's certain beats where you know the name's going to come in certain beats where you know the title's going to come in and it felt a bit to me like they had timed the sequence because i can imagine that like they might not have gotten the theme until fairly recently and the title sequence like this would take a while to animate it felt like they were like timing it to a different theme and then they got brought this one and it didn't quite sync up there are also some weird technical errors i know that the ends on david tennant and stuff like were a bit buggy again that's nitpicky to a naked eye you wouldn't even notice but i do wonder if like maybe they had hoped that they had more time or something to spend on it but overall loved it it was beautiful loved the theme i think that the theme sounds so much better than the orchestra version just with the titles yeah i agree Uh, but yeah loved it overall well anyway to jump straight into the episode itself donna's just missing it all again she just keeps missing it. She missed it all again. And the consistency of that as well. Just so, uh, what, what does he say? Like, I don't think that's a da-da-da. What does he say? It's- oh, I, they say there's a plane crashing. It's like, I don't think that's a plane. It's a spaceship in distress. Yeah. 
and don't immediately deciding to kind of blabber on about like he stacked this wrong i'll show him how to stack boxes and completely turning the other way <laughs> i really really enjoyed that don't i'm missing it all again yeah it didn't need to be called out in the way that rose goes like mom why do you always miss it thinking like no you didn't need to spell it out i know but i did enjoy that she missed it it was just like a fun call, but I mean, like in the very first episode we meet her, you know, she missed the Sikrat ship because she was hungover. She missed the Battle of Canary Wolf because she was scuba diving in Spain. Like she's always missing stuff. And then they double down it again later. I agree with you. I don't think she needs to point out because then when Sylvia was asked, I called, did you see it? She's like, you know me, always missing everything. Like it, it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. We get it. Yeah. But with that as well, the outdoor filming in Camden, I really liked. I liked how it looked on mm. screen, but I also just liked the kind of experience of it for fans. It was nice that it felt like we got like let in on it. And I, I like the way they talk about it as well. And the commentary is interesting because obviously, as I say, you've got, you've got two producers there talking about it and they said, you know, well, there was some nervousness there because they said the sheer number of people who turned up was a bit alarming because they were like, oh, you know, could this, could this either disrupt the filming or like, is it a bit of a risk in terms of like just crowd control basically the number of people who've turned up and they said like everyone was so well behaved when they said be quiet everyone was quiet they were very respectful people just wanted to like you know experience it and they said it was actually nice for us because it felt like we were like doing it live but like theater yeah and they were like it's just cool that like they were like kind of like there for the filming like that never happens that the fans get to be a part of that so that was kind of cool yeah one of the people at our viewing party was there and he was watching he was like oh my god i was there for that bit oh my god i saw when they were filming this i saw the wind machines i saw and i just think that's such a special thing to have like i remember even though i wasn't there seeing all the filming photos in Cardiff, like live on twitter when people put oh my god i've just seen sylvia because it was before they'd announced half the characters and they were like oh my god obviously he's not in this episode they're like i've just seen bernard cribbins like it it felt very communal and it's nice as well because we live in london that it's a place where we can go and we did go the day before the Starbeast, we went to Camden. So when we were watching, we were like, oh my God, we were just up those stairs yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It's nice just like having places you can go that you recognise. I suppose that's how it feels all the time if you live in Wales. Exactly. <laughs> if only we lived in Wales. Yeah. <gasps> I was astonished by how much of it was set because the sets were so good. There was a note in this that Vicky makes as well in the commentary and she said the art department were very proud of the stairs because they, they've got like clutter on them. They've got like stuff that family would leave on a stairs. And Phil says that's a Russell thing. Stairs must always have things on them, like like mm-hmm. like in life. And it's interesting. It ties in with a tweet I saw the other day as well about a similar thing. Someone was was showing kind of screen caps of companions' bedrooms through series one to four, and they were like, "I know these rooms. Like I've I've been the person in these rooms. Like this is a friend's room. This is this is like a lived in space that reminds me mm-hmm. of somewhere. And they feel like believable spaces. They're a little bit messy. There's disjointed colors you know like it's it's my place i know that place and i, I thought it was a really nice yeah. little touch no it's so cool talking about the noble household i wanted to touch on the family a bit like liam said i'm so happy whenever i see a real family dynamic and i'm gonna lean on my nostalgia here i do think that i've had a few days to kind of like ponder on my thoughts i don't think that my review is going to be completely nostalgia based but getting back to the noble family it's just really felt comforting. It was so sweet. And specifically getting to see Sylvia again. I love Sylvia's character. And I love what they've done with her in this because we, especially watching some of series four for Hulala have sort of realized that she truly didn't treat Donna well. And a lot of Donna's confidence issues come from how Sylvia treated her. And I think that after 
knowing that Donna could die with the metacrisis, Sylvia, I think it really hit home when the doc, when she was like, she's still, she's my daughter. And the doctor said, well, then why don't you tell her that sometimes? Yeah. I think that really hit home because you can tell that she's really trying to just be like, you know, she's, she doesn't live with Donna anymore, but she's still there in the evening cooking mm. her a dinner. And mm. Donna's like, I don't need you to do this. She, <laughs> that tuna madras, that tuna madras. Tuna madras. Well, apparently it's a staple in the Russell T Davies household. I heard. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I wouldn't be a staple in my household, but I'm happy, <laughs> I'm happy there. And yeah, the scene where the doctor is coming and she's just, she's just flapping about like, we mean spaceships aren't real and da, 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 da. And she, she didn't goes, see anything. You. You didn't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> when when Meep is on Donna's leg and she's like, it's not real. She's like, it's not real. It's, it's clinging to my, my left leg. leg. I love that. It's like the totally transparentness of her keeping a secret. It's so mm-hmm. obvious. It's so like, you didn't see anything. Did you? Spaceships. They're not real, are they? And it's like, <laughs> Granddad used to speak about spaceships and then he stopped. It was so tender when we were watching it and when she was going on about how Granddad used to go on about spaceships and then he suddenly stopped him when Sylvia just said, well, you had a bit of a breakdown, love. There's no real secret. And Donna believed for 15 years that she just had a breakdown. That was so devastating. I read that in Doctor Who magazine, the last one, and I said to you, I was like, there's something in here in the way that Catherine Tate is describing Donna. And I feel like it's a bit spoilery and it was that reveal about like, well, Donna thinks she had a breakdown. And I was like, that is devastating that like for 15 years, mm-hmm. she just thought that she had like a mental break and she doesn't remember what happened like from her wedding onwards. No one mm-hmm. does. Like it's, so it's, 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 yeah, really, really, really sad. But yeah, there's that sense, I think from Sylvia of like a real and consistent concern for Donna, which is really, really lovely. Like it makes sense, of course, that there's been that change since, mm-hmm. since the last time we saw her. But it feels like a really believable, caring, like mother-daughter relationship as well between them. There's that really funny line where Donna's going on about how much she loves her daughter. And she's like, you know, you, you realise how lucky you are to have a beautiful, amazing daughter. Right, mum? Right, mum? <laughs> and Sylvie's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So funny. Speaking of a certain space rat, I think it's time for us to talk about the moop. I think it's time to talk about the meep. Oh, <laughs> look at this horrible little face. What a menace. Did any of us believe he was a sweetheart or did we know all he along? He was the best guy around. What about the people he murdered? What murder? <laughs> what murder? I think first thing to say is like the look of the meep is astonishing. It was designed Mm. as a physical costume by Millennium FX. They've had loads Mm. of involvement with Doctor Who from Series 1, 2005, all the way through to Series 12. Bit of a break. I'm not sure what the reasoning really is, but they weren't involved in the flux and they are back again now. And then that animatronic, they had three meep heads and untold Mm -hmm. VFX added blinking and mouth movements and they mapped that onto the performance of Miriam Margulies. And Miriam Margulies inspired casting for the meep. Amazing. It was such good casting. Everyone's been saying that they're so sad they couldn't see her swear because, or or well done as well to Russell for reining her in so that she wasn't swearing on screen. Uh, It was inspired casting for the meep. It was such a good meep. I I was walking around the whole rest of the day being like, do you want to be my friend? I've got some little friends. Oh, you ripped his tummy out. (laughs) And then when she changed, she was like, oh, to hell with this exhibit scene. Oh, to hell with this. (laughs) It was so good. One thing that we were talking about with this new era of Doc 2 is that we really want it to have a real cultural relevancy because I think it has definitely had that at points and then dipped and maybe not had it at other points. And I saw online, someone sent it to me earlier, that, you know, in the tube, they have those posters where they say maybe like, you know, Happy Mother's Day or Happy Easter or whatever. Uh, it was one of those and all it said was, all hail the meep. <laughs> and the fact that that's now on the underground, I'm just like, 
yes, it's a win for the Whovians. The moment that got a real laugh as well was when the Meep is carried around the corner of these like steelworks, <sighs> like oh, on a Meep throne so that kind of like resembles like the Iron Throne. Uh, mm. One of them goes, oh, hell, the Meep. All hail the oh, meep. All hail the meep. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed that. That got a good laugh at the viewing party as well. And, and I want to talk about the Wrath Warriors as well, because they were really good too. They were yes. a nice mix of practical and VFX. I thought that the costumes on those kind of like stilts were great. It's also yeah. really funny because we all kind of saw the twist coming that the meep was going to be evil, but I didn't quite expect the Wrath Warriors to be so like, well, hello, sir. Yes, I, oh, I am yes. soldier. And and I'm just here to, to help. And to, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so polite. They were so polite. And there's a scene in Unleashed where they're like, oh, we're very, we're very excited to to do this i'm simon and there's gary over there and he's in the meeting and he's like hello and he just waves. i love whenever we see doctor who performers behind the scenes and it's just like some nice like dad of two who's getting into his costume yeah. at the start of the day and he's <laughs> strapping himself into the costume uh, so that's always like one of the best behind the scenes bits that's what we've been sorely mm. missing thank god we have on this yeah track. Shirley and Bingham, I always love our scientific advisors. I loved Malcolm. Mm -hmm. I loved Osgood. I like Mm -hmm. that they always really revere the Doctor. And I really like in this that she lets him get away with his way of working. Yeah, I I was going to say, I love that in this she kind of flips on his head because like you said they always love the doctor always obsessed with the doctor and he kind of has that moment where he's like wait did your whole life and she's like you wish i'm gonna get paid just to meet you like she is so unfazed by it and i thought that was really really funny as much as i did like osgood i think it's a nice change as well from someone who's like fangirling for the doctor and maybe that was a bit of like a product of its time as well like being like a Mm -hmm. a fangirl and especially like jazzing them up as like a nerd glasses plus inhaler plus like yeah. big long scarf and bow tie and i think this time it's just someone who like really holds their own and also just really cool that they've got this representation for a wheelchair user in a leading role and with a really great character and i really like uh ruth madley as well i've seen her in years and years and she was stellar in that as well i like her accent yeah no i like her accent i like that she is just completely cool calm collected at all times she's not phased one thing that i thought was really really cool is that unit know the doctor's future and i'd never really thought about this before but the doctor visits unit all the time so they see different versions of the doctor and so when she first sees 14 she assumes it's the 10th doctor and he says about you know being a woman and being this and doing that and she's like but you can't know that that's your future and she's really taken aback by it and i just think that that's really cool and something i've never properly considered before that they probably see the doctor out of order sometimes so they then know his future or her future or their future she doesn't even say it in that way i think she says it's forbidden which i thought was interesting she does and that feels like it's almost like on the doctor's instructions like you are not to tell me about my future was interesting exactly one thing that hulala listener actually sent to us which i thought was a gag justice for liz shaw liz shaw was scientific advisor number one the doctor goes i was scientific advisor number one but as we know from our spearhead in space episode in series two of hulala liz shaw is brought on as the first scientific advisor of unit and then the doctor comes on afterwards and joins as scientific advisor so liz shaw really was scientific advisor number one well that's a bit of a shame then that they almost took mm-hmm. that off Liz. <laughs> I agree. We keep talking about Liz Erasure because <laughs> poor <laughs> no, Liz. Honestly, justice, watched, justice for Liz. We watched a spearhead in space, and I was like, "Who is this? Like, this is she's wonderful." <laughs> but I don't think that she's been like really referred to very much at all in the no, new series, which is so strange to me because she is like spiritually the predecessor of Kate Lethbridge Stewart, but doesn't almost like seem to like get that um, that credit. So. David Tennant stepping into the role of the Doctor, it's it's obviously just like, you know, 
second nature. He just so embodies the doctor for so many people in every way that he plays it. But there is something a bit there is something a bit different this time. There's a sense of carrying a bit more wisdom and a bit more age this mm-hmm. time. And some people, what I've really enjoyed that we could do, have been picking out like, oh, that moment was a bit 13 coded. Oh, that moment was a bit how 11 might say it. Oh, the 14th Doctor wouldn't have said that before. You know, like, oh, the 10th Doctor mm-hmm. wouldn't have said I loved her or those kind of things. So there's a bit of like vulnerability, wisdom, age. And the way David talked about it was saying, I'm older now as well. And it also comes through that filter, even if I was trying to play the same character. No, exactly. One thing that I really, really love about the 14th Doctor's portrayal, which is so different from the 10th, is that I never really realised it until we were doing Hula and properly, like assessing the character. The 10th Doctor always has so much baggage, like they can never tell anyone really how they feel about them. He doesn't ever tell Martha or Donna, or certainly not Rose, truly how he feels. He's just come off the back of losing the Time Lords. He's the last of the Time Lords. He, His whole role, even though he's quite a fun character at times, he is a very weighty role and everything he says is quite like serious and has real thought behind it. And I think that the 14th Doctor can kind of allow themselves, especially after having been people like 11 and 13, to just have fun and be silly and also vocal about who they love and not afraid to talk about it and he says about how much he loves Wilf and how much he loves Donna and then when they're in the TARDIS and Donna's like it's gorgeous and he does that like little dance when he's like wow it's just so sweet and I don't think that the 10th Doctor would have done that he carries a little bit more I think of like a feminine energy within him I don't know if that's the right way Mm -hmm. to describe what it is but it feels like there's a willingness to like let these little quirks shine out a bit more in a way that was maybe a bit more restrained with the 10th Doctor because the 10th Doctor in everything tried very hard to be cool and there are definitely moments in this where you still see that you know I feel like when you have the Doctor kind of like projecting his little scream with a sonic and he's kind of you know arms crossed in the corner kind of checking out the stats he's still trying to be oh I'm a cool Doctor but there's moments (laughs) in this that definitely feel more emotional um, which mm. are really, really nice and more emotionally vulnerable. You know, talking about Wilf, for example, when we get to that yeah. moment. And um, like, of course, of course, you know, yeah, he, was, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a young man and, and, and I, I love that man. And it was like, whoa, like this is, uh, you know, a yeah. level of honesty suddenly. <laughs> and, then, and then Donna being like, he's not dead. <laughs> you idiot. You dumbo. Great big at space dunce <laughs> dunce and the physicality that david tennant can bring to the role as well i think is always wonderful someone tweeted something like his whole face is committed to this role <laughs> and i was like yeah, yes, that's what it, it really is. is that's what it is i just i love david tennant's doctor and it, it genuinely just brings me so much joy to be able to say last week we watched david tennant and Catherine tate on doctor who and this saturday i'm gonna watch them on it again I'm and the next saturday again. I'm going to watch it again. Like, exactly. And then I'm going to sob. But then Shooty will be here, so I'll be all right. <laughs> so it'll be yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there was a few little, like, a little callbacks to, like, the Donnaverse that I really liked. Wilf is obviously one. Another one is the Neris mm-hmm. references. We, well, I mean, the yeah. cheer we let out when it was like, oh, I'm, I'm Neris's friend. And it was, oh, like, that, right, there's a friend. And then it's sort of leading to, uh, how is she? She's fine after the accident. Uh, oh, yeah, well, she's getting better. But she's not fine. If it's her fault, she's been fined. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. And then when Donna finds out and they're like, oh, yeah, my, my friend, uh, what was it? Neris. Yeah, no, Neris. And she's like, Neris. Neris. Well, that explains everything. <laughs> and I was like, did I tell you I saw Susie Mayer? She's looking a lot better. Shorter, obviously. <laughs> no, not obviously. Why is she shorter? <laughs> Let me tell you about one thing about Susie Mayer. Susie Mayer wouldn't lie not unless, unless it's, it's about calories. calories. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I love all those references. For me, the little bits that really sort of stab me in my heart in like a really good way are the moments before Donna gets her memories back where she's, she like remembers without realizing she's remembered. Oh, yes. So when she's in the truck and the doctor's like, why did you give away all your money? And she says, you know, people need help and this and that. And then she goes, I don't know, it just felt like something you'd do. And she didn't even realize she'd said it. And Sylvia kind of looks at the doctor and the doctor looks at her. And then later when Donna makes the decision, even again, before she's got her memories back to say goodbye to her family, because the doctor needs her and she needs, she knows she needs to be with the doctor. And they're they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? She's like, the doctor's in trouble and I need to help. And she runs away and you just sort of hold on Sylvia and she goes, she called him doctor. Yeah. We were kind of clinging each other. Oh, I much, much, much prefer this like trickle. And I think the thing, yeah, he, she said that in the lorry. So it seemed like something he would do. And there's a bit of ambiguity to like, who's he? But it's, you know, you know, it's the doctor. And then it was the watching the doctor run, running down the corridor. Mm. That was the thing that was like, that's the doctor. And then the chills of she called him doctor and unlocking her memories, like bringing down the firewall with that code mm. that gave me chills <sighs> as well. Westerly pelican dreams he's like oh get on with it and you know he doesn't have to say i'm doing it he just keeps going it really it really reminded me of the winter soldier like the code to unlock the winter soldier it was really giving me that and the i don't know if you dear listener was watching this with other people but when she holds up the hands and goes binary binary but like we as a collective were losing it was it was unreal the weight Mm. of that moment was shocking like the way it made you feel was shocking and then for me i think the best part of this episode potentially actually no maybe one of a couple of the best bits of the episode when the dr donna is back and the first thing the dr donna does after this little burst of regeneration energy is flick the bangs (laughs) like (laughs) part of them again it's like I gave away all my money trying to be like you and just like furious, like 166 million pounds. It was so good. That was was so so good. good. But you can't underplay the regeneration effect either because like when she turned back and did like a proper regeneration (laughs) with the hands and everything, we were screaming. Oh my God. Gorgeous. Then we have I'm the Doctor playing of all songs of one of the few callbacks mm-hmm. to old themes we get in this episode. We get I'm the Doctor, which was fab. Um, while she's hopping around the ship and they're both doing their techno babble. It took me a second to realise it was that. I was like, wait, what? Wait, what, what is it? Yeah. And you were like, it's I'm the Doctor. And I was like, oh my God, it is I'm, I'm the, the Doctor. doctor. <laughs> when she starts listing all the techno babble, is that real callback to Journey's End? But I just love when Donna, as the Doctor Donna, goes, oh yes, oh, like yes. doing a Doctor. Oh, it's just so good. And then when she's dying inverted commas (laughs) and it's you are beaten by the dr donna i really enjoyed that yeah both because it was the dr donna but also that it was both of them together in action again it was funny as well because my boyfriend after that point or after that he was like wait but like she wasn't dying so what was she doing it's like why was she why was she pretending to be dead (laughs) she wasn't dying she (laughs) didn't die and come back she didn't die so it was it was funny that moment but um yeah whatever it was a fun fake out i mean the drama of it all frankly i think we need to talk about the tardis this is the last major high for me and it makes sense right we're at the end of the episode now but the tardis (laughs) i mean absolutely stunning i am completely obsessed with that sense of space and the way someone described it was like it's like concept art they didn't have to dial back it's like when you see those yeah this is what they wanted to do with it and this is what they ended up with and it's just like it's it's concept art like it's as ambitious just did as it. they wanted it to be and they did it 
I love how it can all change color. I love how big it is. I adore the like shape of the TARDIS console. One thing I found a bit odd just for the design is that it's such a clean, some people say it's clinical space. I do think it'll get padded out with like, you know, props and things and the doctor will have stuff there. But one thing I found so odd is that the actual TARDIS console itself is quite dirty. Like the actual buttons and panels and stuff. Have you noticed that? I did. The, the actual I did panels see that. Are dirty, yeah, but that everything else is clean. It's retained the kind of like stuck on knobs and bolts around the actual TARDIS and the kind of little I just thought that was gadgets. a bit odd. Yeah, I don't know. But I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I, I can't wait to see it. I feel like we were almost a bit robbed of getting to see it properly fly because you get the, whoa, I've done it again yeah. <laughs> with the coffee cup and it's suddenly bursting into fire. And like, I feel like it's almost like they wanted it to be Jodie's TARDIS and then needed a reason to destroy Jodie's TARDIS, but they didn't want to rebuild Jodie's yeah. TARDIS. So... They didn't. It would have made sense <laughs> if they'd still had Jodie Stardust and that was the moment that we got another one. But yeah, I mean, so joyful. The moment that I keep coming back to and keep watching again and again. First of all, it's obviously David running around, finding his own route around the Tardis, going, it's amazing! Yeah. And it's just like this real like childlike joy in this ancient eldritch creature of the Doctor running in circles around the Tardis, just going like, wee, all the space! <laughs> it's kind of like really fun. And then... Uh, you know still a bit nippy oh come on but, all right it's gorgeous mm. was so like ah. i'm not even sure which of them is the gay best friend at that moment like they're both the gay best friend they're both the gay best friend it, and, yeah, and it wasn't even like <laughs> the doctor was playing gay at that point it was almost like playing jody again for a little bit like just like wee like yeah. it was that childishness yeah. that came out and i really 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 enjoyed that and then i just yeah i'm excited to see what we're going to get from it as well because the behind the scenes was you're going to see the set do amazing things they are all individually mm -hmm. controlled leds all the way around the outside so yeah. much so that they say in the commentary that those lights can spell out words you know even if they want to so and there's a huge i'm so there's excited. a huge display screen in there as well that we've not seen in action yet you know like a scanner on the wall so who knows mm -hmm. what we're gonna get out of that as well now let's bring this party down let's be party poopers <laughs> we've, we've not got many lows i think we've got a larger conversation later which is sort of more mixed and neutrals but we've got a couple we lows. have and these are things that you won't see on the official doctor no i'm kidding um <laughs> we have a few negatives here a few negatives one that i think everyone openly laughed at and we were all like we just need to get through this bit. We just have to get through it. Was yeah. the opening prologue. I'd heard from the reviews that that was how it opened. And yeah. I'm glad that I knew that that was coming because that was jarring. And I'm glad that I was almost like, okay, this is just for a bit. And then we're, we're past it. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, first of all, it's this, it's the fact that they didn't do both of them the same way. If they'd had the doctor float in space and admittedly pretty lighting on him, uh, a little weird and that he looked like a bit of like a pick your character screen yeah and then they had like this quite jarring contrast of donna kind of just like sat at the kitchen table and mm -hmm. not lit in a very flattering way and i guess maybe the contrast was meant to be like oh you know the doctor and his like stellar cosmic life and then there's donna sat at a very ordinary real world real world table but i i found it a bit jarring when it went between the two of them I think they would have wanted the Doctor in the TARDIS and Donna in her home, but they didn't have the previous TARDIS set and they didn't want that to be the reveal of the new TARDIS. So they then were like, okay, we'll put him in space. But I agree with you that it did kind of look like a choose your own character screen. <laughs> That's where the Doctor was waiting while the TARDIS was resetting. They were just like, <laughs> he was just like <laughs> pending exactly. reset. He was just floating in space. 
<laughs> waiting to be picked up. Exactly. Well, look, at the viewing party, we were all a bit like, oh, I don't know. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. But then I was saying to someone, I was like, look, this isn't for us. Yeah. We know what's happened up till now. Half of us have just done the Dr. Donathon. This is for the casual viewer who were like, oh, I liked David Tennant when he was on. I loved Catherine Tate. Maybe I will watch it, but oh, I haven't watched it in a while. I don't really know what's going on. That was for them. And I, and I do appreciate much as it might be a bit jarring for us. That's not there for yeah. us. And so I, I'm completely willing to overlook that. Maybe they could have done something that was like narrated and animated. Could have been really interesting. Like drawn, like it's a story of them together going throughout the stars. And it's a lot of work and it's very expensive to do that kind of work. So, yeah. you know, that's a tall order. But I, 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 yeah, I wonder if there was a different way of lighting it, setting it. It, it was... Um, not my favourite part. I almost would have rather just had David Tennant and Catherine Tate sat on two director's chairs being like, right, so here's what you need to yeah, know. <laughs> I guess, yeah, something, something was a little off about that. And then I guess the other bit is the pacing really fell off. And I think it felt like, maybe the pacing is what I mean. It felt like the whole story was on fast forward. It felt like this was a 90 mm. minute story at least that got squished. And yeah. it's not like there were plot points maybe missing, but that nothing got enough breathing room. So I think if they just had a bit yeah. more room, they could have like allowed some things a bit more room to sit and sink in and it wouldn't have been so whiplash from, whoa, this place to the next place to the next place. This story would have benefited from being a normal season's two-part opener yes, in the same way that definitely. like The Witch is Familiar and The Magician's Apprentice were. In that I think this is what a, an hour-long story would have benefited from being a 90-minute yeah, story. For sure. 100% would have done. I was really surprised when yeah. they announced these to be like three 60-minute specials. I was like, oh. Yeah. Like, that's not very long to tell like three separate stories. Um, and it, it's, it was like three movies, really. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting now that the next two weeks we don't have to do any of the setup now. Well, we have to do setup, obviously, because they arrive in a new place and there's a conundrum. <laughs> but as in, we don't have to reintroduce these characters we know the Doctor and Donna yeah. now, and we don't have to have them find each other again. We start with them stepping out the TARDIS doors. It can be a bit of a cold open. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see like how that maybe gives the story a bit more room. We'll get onto this, but the, the resolution for the Metacrisis was a big deal because it was the yeah. thing that we were told was like unresolvable. What was it, 15 years ago? A bit less than that? Yeah, and about 15 years. And it was a very quick resolution. Which is fine, yeah, because it's Doctor Who. We literally said about this on the podcast, we were like, whatever they're going to do to undo the Metacrisis is going to be quick. We kind of knew it was going to be quick, and they were like, because we're not going to want to focus on the how and the why, because we know it's going to happen, so we'd rather see what will happen afterwards. So I think we knew it was going to be quick. However, and I think we should probably dive into this section, I think that the reasoning of what they did left a lot of people confused and maybe with more questions for something that was such a quick resolution. Yes, okay. And now, at this point in the episode, there's a major part that we haven't discussed, which is the role mm -hmm. of Yasmin Finney as Rose... Rose Temple Noble? Or Rose Noble? Rose Noble. Just Rose Noble. Rose Noble. Oh, wow. And so we want to be like absolutely clear that we're really excited to see trans representation on screen and we're really excited to see trans women in a leading role. And massive credit to Yasmin Finney for having one of her first jobs after Heartstopper be a leading role in Doctor Who is major. Mm -hmm. And we also want to say, like, we really think that I think the intentions were really good going into this about trying to make the right impression with trans representation on screen. And that behind the scenes, 
it feels like Russell T Davies has been really vocal as well about how he feels about these issues and that that's been really important to us as well as part of the queer community and the current climate that we're in for trans people at the moment and all the hostility they face. Yeah, no, completely. I think that it is so important, like you said, in today's climate to have trans people in the forefront of stories, to have stories about trans people cast with trans people in those roles. I'm so, so, so proud of Yasmin Finney playing the role of Rose Noble. It's weird not saying Rose Temple Noble, but Rose Noble. And I think that we're going to talk about it more, but it might be haphazardly done at times. I don't think it was ever going to be perfect. This is the first time Doctor Who has featured trans actors before, and it's not the first time that a trans character had a leading role in this kind of show. However, in Doctor Who, I think this is the first time that a trans actor has had a leading role and been such a forefront of the plot and like the conversation of being trans and being non-binary and pronouns and such that I don't think it was ever going to be perfect. So much as we are going to talk about the reasons we didn't think it was perfect, I don't think that should take away from the importance of the fact that the conversation is being had and these characters are being given a spotlight because I think that's so important. I think that we should only be seeing more of that going forward. And I'm so excited to see how Rose's character develops in the show. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the context going into it, I guess. And then the other acknowledgement is obviously to say that neither of us are trans or non-binary. So that is also like a place that we're coming from that we acknowledge. And so we're not going to come in here kind of waggling fingers and going, wow, the right way to do this <laughs> because like we don't have that position. But like, obviously it's important to us because this is a Queer Doc 2 podcast. So what we've tried to do as much as we can as well is like talk to our friends, some of whom are trans and non-binary, and take a good look as well online at like what people are saying and how people reacted to it so we can get a good lay of the land to understand how other people felt about this episode too going into it. I definitely saw a lot of people online saying, uh, oh, I'm non-binary, for example, and I, and I love being able to see some kind of representation myself. And then I've seen trans people speak about things that they thought might not have been done quite well and that how the good intentions as they were good might have been a bit misconstrued in the plot. And I think that that's an interesting conversation to be had, especially, like you said, on a platform like this Quid or Two podcast. Yeah. So there's a lot in here that I loved and I thought it was really sweet. Mm-hmm. I think what an exciting, bold move to make Donna Noble like one of the all-time favourite characters in Doctor Who, the parent of a trans child, I think is just mm-hmm. like such a cool choice. And I really love that they did that. And I think in the current climate as well, with the kind of representation we get and the kind of discussions we have that are so dehumanising about trans people, it's just so cool that Doctor Who isn't just like including or casting someone who is trans, but also like wants to say something and say something Mm -hmm. positive and also like do something good in this space in terms of representation, I think is really, really heartwarming. And I think it means a lot given that there is such a big queer Doctor Who fan base that they've tried to do it right is like a good thing in the first place. And Sylvia also, another icon on screen, embraces and loves Mm -hmm. her. Can you imagine if we had this come back and it was like, oh, by the way, like, Sylvia's gender critical. <laughs> You'd be like, oh my God. Oh no. Like, it's like, no. Yeah, like Sylvia, oh Sylvia's got a burner. Um, and she, no. she, she's <laughs> very. Sylvia's on mum's net. Sylvia would have been blocked on Hulala. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Sylvia is also like trying to do her best. And I think they do a really nice part about, you know, like she's a little clumsy and she she wants to say the right thing. She turns it on off like, how should I approach it? And am I doing the right thing? And that's that's really nice. A low here immediately for me is that we never actually learn in her own words how Rose identifies. Her mother and father identify her as their daughter. They refer to her um, by she, her. And at the end, it gets a little more complicated because there's a lot of reference to binary, non-binary. And there's an implication that Rose's identity is as a non-binary person 
rather than as a trans woman, which is a little confusing. Someone made the point online of saying, like, it's a shame that Rose isn't given the time in this episode to even throw in, like, a line about her own identity and her own pronouns when the Meep is given the chance to do it. <laughs> and it was like, mm, like that's a yeah. good point here. And it was almost like... The line offered to Rose was about like scolding someone else for not asking about their pronouns rather than giving her the opportunity to say hers. I feel like having looked at what the consensus is from trans and non-binary people and seeing videos they've made online and talking on Twitter and stuff about it, it, the general consensus, which I do think I agree with, is that it feels like this is a story about trans people written by and for cis people and i think it was probably majoritively written by as we know rusty davies wrote the episode but creatively driven by cis people and seeing what trans people are talking about the story it feels like we should have been following rose's character more as opposed to hearing about her character through other people so there's a scene like you were talking about earlier with donna and sylvie in the kitchen and that scene really did touch me because i think it is showing real positive representation for families of trans people and like you said sylvia she'll she'll like muddle up sometimes and then and realize that's wrong and want to be doing the right thing and saying you know should i call her gorgeous i never called her gorgeous before and things like that but in that moment perhaps what would have been more beneficial is a scene following rose because you know she's just been dead named which we'll talk about i'm sure in a moment so i think maybe in that moment we should have been following rose and seeing her even talking to the meat for example about why they have shared experiences they kind of it's like, like the great unsaid with rose so she's saying to the meat like oh you know i i feel like i'm from a different planet sometimes and i can relate to you and no i'm not lonely but this is how i feel and it's all quite elusive and never very direct and i feel like there are times where it would have benefited the story and the conversation about trans people if we actually were hearing it from Rose's perspective rather than from other people talking about her. Someone said, which is really interesting, like, I think the episode should have started from Rose's point of view. First of all, it would have been a lovely parallel right back to 2005 to start from her point of view, but could also flesh out her character and the family dynamic. Imagine, shot of Earth, panned down to Rose taking the alarm on her phone, shot of her eating breakfast as Donna complains to Sean about her temp job and how she's still the best temp in Chiswick. We see Rose is isolated and alone throughout her school day. We see her sketching a drawing of the doctor. We see her at her play rehearsal. We see her at the market, putting out her creations, bickering with her mum. Then we pan over to the doctor arriving. So it, there's something yeah. interesting, I think, within that as well. Like, I think this is it as well. We have a scene that we'll talk about with dead naming, And immediately after that experience happens, which is quite a traumatic thing, it pans to two cis characters describing it from their perspective instead. And of course, it makes sense we do that, like, you know, narratively in the context of this Doctor Who plotline, like we want to spend a bit more time with... Uh, Donna and Sylvia but you know if we had more breathing room to look at this like what would be the perfect way of handling it like you'd think you'd want to spend a bit more time understanding how that makes Rose feel and how she reacts to it yeah no completely and I think like you're saying there's the scene of dead naming earlier it almost feels like it should come with a trigger warning and there's a lot of trans people who've been saying that it, it's very triggering for them but Russell was talking about it on the Doc 2 podcast along with Juno Dawson about how it felt necessary to include because it is a part of trans people's experiences and June Dawson said something which I thought was really important she said I feel that it is important to show the lived reality of trans people Rose is played by amazing trans actor Yasmin Finney from Heartstopper as we know and it happens you know I think the important thing here is that the characters who misgender Rose aren't presented as aspirational characters you know we see and I think it's important that we see how upset if stoic Rose is and how it really upsets Donna you know I think this is important I think as a trans person and a writer there is no point trying to sugar the pill trans people face transphobia 
atmosphere. Yeah. And so I do think it was really important to show that scene of dead naming and show, you know, just how defensive Donna is and how much she loves her daughter. But then I think from that, we should have then followed Rose and had her be able to show us as the audience how it affects her life rather than hear about it through her family. I get that. I totally, totally understand that. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, there's no like answer to like, what is the right way? Should it be in it? Should it not? Did it handle it perfectly? Like we're not the people who answer that question. You know, some people really disliked it. They said they felt it was disappointing that one of her first scenes features that as like an introduction. And someone said something along the lines of like, you know, this is sci-fi, like anything can happen all of time and space. Like, why do I have to be represented as a trans person through like dead naming in like the second thing that I see of this character? Other people really like that realistic view. And it's like, look, you're just facing like a difficult reality. This is it, staring it dead on, showing it how it is. And I did like the way that Russell described it in the sense that he said, those boys on bikes, they're part of our audience. Like there are those boys are watching Mm -hmm. and like when you present that as well to a young audience who watches doctor who it's part of as well like saying like what behavior do we accept like what do we think is okay what do we normalize what do we not what do we call out as you know who are the villains in this story and i I think that's pretty interesting as well so you know it's it's a it's a difficult point it's a point that we want to talk about i don't think there's like a right or wrong answer to like the way that that's going to be handled and as you say like it's it's within the context of a one-hour story of course yeah one thing that i do again want to really give credit for is i think that russell much as he's not a trans person telling this story i think he really has truly given it thought and so there are flaws in this story but there's been a lot of thought into it and i think that's a really really insightful thought that you brought up of russell saying that I think it's important to show these characters on screen of the boys on the bikes because people like them will be watching this. Imagine, you know, we were coming back now and we were in a slightly different social context and we wanted to say something about, like, say, gay people instead. Yeah. You know, would we want to necessarily sort of shelter a gay character from having these kind of experiences in their day-to-day life, you know, in a climate a bit more like it was 20 years ago. You know, probably not. We probably also want to be like realistic about what's there. I mean, what Russell is quite good at doing, I think, is is writing like a grounded world that kind of reflects the world we live in. And he's, yeah. he's very good at those kind of believable social dynamics. And I think that helps like root the world in something believable. Yeah. I, I understand why it's been done. A low for me, I think, is that this confusion around identity and not allowing Rose the space to actually define herself or even anyone else kind of allude to what her identity mm-hmm. actually is beyond kind of like my daughter and she, her, is then that when we get to a pretty critical plot point, which is like binary, non-binary, it was like, wait, hold on. What? <laughs> so <laughs> the whole like, we're binary. She's not. Now, I still don't know fully how i meant to interpret the scene so many people have interpreted the scene in so many different ways and yeah. this is where i think it's got complicated and different people dislike this for all kinds of different reasons and i think it's just about the pacing problem they didn't have yeah. space to expand this point well enough so it was confusing in that i think up until this point we've assumed that rose is a trans young woman and now that's been conflated with her non-binary identity that link i think with her then saying like non-binary people read that to be her almost like light bulb moment that's what i am and i think then people went oh because then the solution was you know just like the doctor can like male and female and neither and both and the link to the meta crisis was a bit unclear there so it was almost like oh is her non-binary identity part of why she's able to hold 
the Metacrisis safely? Is that part of why it didn't kill Donna? Yeah, no, I've spoken to trans non-binary people about this since the show's been on, and they were saying that they really don't like the, you know, there are so many amazing things that come with being trans, and they were saying, you know, we can see, you know, as she grows up, she discovers, like, her creativity, for example. She's such a creative person, and, and there's so many positive things that come out through her transness, but they don't like the connotation, if this was the intention with the writing, that her transness or her non-binariness is coming through or has anything to do with the meta crisis. And it's this like alien thing that's happened to Donna that has an influence on whether or not she's trans because trans people are just ordinary people. They are ordinary, incredible people. Like Throck says, there's no such thing as an ordinary person. But th- there's a weird like muddying of the water in the, is the plot saying that something to do with her non-binariness or her transness is something to do with the meta crisis? Is that a separate point? Is it that, you know, the doctor is identifying as male there, Donna is identifying as female and... Rose is neither and both in everything. Like it, it, it created like a weird tenuous link between whether or not she was saying I am non-binary or whether it's that I am not the binary. I think that's like the distinction that people are confused about there. Some people have read this to mean that she is trans because of the metacrisis. Like, oh, look at all the ways the metacrisis has influenced her life. It's bled through into her memories. It, it influenced the shared, her own name. And some people read like, oh, so she's trans because of the metacrisis. And yeah, I, I think and that's that is the point that people like, really reject. Mm. Now, I don't think that was the intention. I think it's pure, yeah. pure unrelated coincidence that that her daughter is trans and has inherited part of the metacrisis and all this. Um, and then there's this line, you know, I'm finally me. And I think that all added to an element of confusion. Some people were saying like, wait, does that mean that she was non-binary because of the metacrisis? Now she has a different identity. And there was, so there was an element of mm. confusion. I mean, I mean, it's, I think reasonable to feel a little confused by these points yeah no for sure i think the intention with the dialogue was truly to say we are binary in the mathematical sense we are a binary in that we are two parts like one two binary the doctor donna two binary she is one part she's metacrisis on her own she is non-binary she is like a single system of one i think that's Mm -hmm. what they meant and i think non-binary was almost a bit of a a bit of a pun yeah it felt like that because of the binary 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 thing they were like oh non-binary we're not binary 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 non-binary for that that's that's not oh that's not i think that's what they were going for because i don't think in that moment rose is saying i'm non-binary because i don't think that's what she's trying to say it doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah i definitely think there were moments where much as i love russell's writing i think that it was perhaps like I don't know if clumsy is the word, but definitely confusing. And I think the scene earlier where the Doctor's talking to Meep and assumes that they're he, and Rose sort of interrupts and makes that kind of jab, like, oh, well, you know, you, you can assume that they're a he. And there's that pronoun scene that I think it's important to include conversation about pronouns for sure. But someone online was saying that it almost felt like it was written in a way that someone would make fun of how a trans character would speak. Yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's like a parody of how Gen Z speaks. Of like, yeah, exactly. Um, you're just going to assume it's a hey. Yeah. And that clip, like, as you'd expect, then is the one that they've chosen to circulate with, you know, hashtag RIP Doctor Who with no context. Yeah. And I think then it, it shows again here that, like, if you're going to, like you said, make potentially a pun about, like, the binary, binary, binary from Journey's End and have them be non-binary, 
I think that there needs to be more thought as to the link between non-binary as an identity and then non-binary as in not binary and make sure there's a clear distinction between the two if that was their intention. Because yes. later when they're releasing the metacrisis, that very much seems like they're a unit rather than like two binaries and a non-binary unit. And it just makes it even more confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I really didn't like at the end of the episode, which I know that you have feelings about as well, is that when they are releasing the metacrisis they make a really weird jab at the doctor where earlier in the script they were saying about how the doctor you know is male and female and neither and kind of walks the non-binary line i guess in that way and donna and rose kind of make this weird jab again where they're like oh you'd never understand because you're a man and they say about you know a male percentage time law could never understand you can just let it go and i was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a cis woman the next day and they were saying that they really didn't like how every time they reference jody's doctor they just call her woman. They're like, oh, I was a woman. I was rather than saying maybe, you know, oh, I was blonde. I was a northerner. I wore rainbows. And they, you know, will call other doctors by the guy that wore blow ties or the one that was Scottish. And in a similar sense in this scene, they're like, well, you know, you're a woman. Women, just let it go. Just let it go. We're not a man. We don't let it go. And I think that that was maybe harmful in the way of like, you're having this conversation earlier about the doctor being male, female, neither. And then suddenly putting on this trope of, oh, well, you, you know, male wouldn't understand. And I think that that kind of undermines what was quite clever writing earlier in the episode. Yeah, it was like a line that I was reluctant to criticise because I don't want to be the one who comes off to be the minimist. <laughs> and I was like, listen... Oh like God, me, no, I don't mean it in that respect. No, I, and I don't think... But I don't think either of us do come across that way because actually I think that this is a pretty like mainstream opinion on this line i i really don't think yeah. anyone was championing that line and i don't think anyone i know would have wanted that line in there if they were given the choice i think it was yeah. widely read to be needlessly patronizing and mm-hmm. felt like a bit of a mess um i think there was a number of ways that people even like tried to correct the line and they were like even if you just said something a time lord would never understand with that kind of power you can just let it go or um you're not you human you wouldn't get it. You've never been good at letting things go. Wink, wink is another good one. Boom, perfect. Roast the doctor. Show Donna's grown up. Metacrisis averted. Do you think that your theory was right in Jenny's end when the doctor's like, I'm sorry. And Donna's like, no, 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 please. No. Do you think she was about to go? No, I can just let it go. I can just like, let it go. Exactly that. <laughs> My theory that I really hoped they'd have was that like the doctor Donna had already worked it out. And the no, 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 no was a bit of a panic to like, let me explain my thinking here i think there might be an answer to this one um yeah or it was easily explained as again like i'm a human time lord i have a creative spark that you don't have i can think about things in an abstract way that you can't i I don't know i guess it wouldn't be such a sticking point if it wasn't as i say it was like a 15 year conundrum it's like it's not that deep but also it's frustrating and i think because it came minutes after the kind of like binary non-binary confusion it, it felt like one of the other small missteps in this episode that could yeah. could have just been tweaked to make it a little bit more satisfying. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think it's a blunder. I think this is the thing as well. These aren't such major missteps that we need to say, the, the year is cancelled. It's over. This oh, is it. God, RTD no, done. RTD finished. But it, de- it deserves a conversation with a bit of nuance, I think. And that's what I think we lose entirely online. And I think it's worth having these conversations as well. And look, we there'll be things that you, that we'll have said that you'll totally disagree with. And like our ears are totally open to hearing like what you guys thought about this. And ultimately, like you know, we both feel I think that good positive trans representation is important, right? It's an important dialogue to have, but having the conversation doesn't take away from the fact that I think the intentions are truly good from the creative side, and that 
whether or not there are going to be blunders and missteps along the way, putting trans people at the forefront of stories on shows like Doctor Who that are 60 years old and being willing to have these kind of conversations about pronouns and being non-binary and gender identity and being trans at the forefront of such an iconic show can only be a good thing and we need to just push for more stories because then more trans people will be behind the scenes, more trans people will be writing these stories and they'll only become more authentic and more exciting, exciting trans stories. That's what I want to see. So overall, I mean, loved the episode. I mean, if anyone was counting there, you probably ran out of fingers because we had about 14 different high points there. (laughs) And I think two or three kind of like low mix points for us. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a pretty good, a pretty good mixed bag. For me, this episode probably comes in at a four star. I'd say. Yeah, I would say a four star. When when they saw the three star rating for it was out, I was like, how dare it? It's going to be five out of five. It wasn't a five star episode, but I think I would give it a solid four. Right, Sam, it's who la la, so we've got to play one of my favourite games. Oh, what is it? Go on, tell me. Are you ready to play? <gasps> Camp or Damp? Camp or Damp? Woohoo! Yeah, I am more than ready. Hit me, yeah, baby. baby. Obsessed <laughs> with gongs. It's pretty camp. It's obsessed with gonks. Do you think that's going to be? Do you think it's be a broader plot point? The woman in in Abu Dhabi who's obsessed got maybe. I a friend of ours who was at the viewing party the other day said that they have a friend whose mum is obsessed with gonks, and every Christmas he buys her something to do with gonks. And last year he bought her a mug that just said Happy Gonkmas. So he was like, "This is written for her," but she doesn't live in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> it's pretty camp. Oh, that was a fun moment. Uh, none of this is real. <laughs> That was Cam. That was Cam. Don't be like, not real. It's on my leg. <laughs> not real. It's clinging on my. Get off me, you space rat. Oh, that was more Cam. Space rat was way more Cam. Get off me, you space rat. And then um, finally, all right. It's gorgeous. gorgeous. That is Cam. Like you said, oh my God, you can't tell which one's the gay best friend in that scene. It is amazing. They're it's gorgeous. I, I love it. Very, very love cam. it. Now, I haven't really got. Very many fun facts for you at all, apart from ones that you've kind of already heard throughout about physical sets. There being three meep heads, a really good fact I'll chuck in, you may have seen doing the rounds on Twitter, which was said by Phil Collins in the mess. They're now spending on a single episode on VFX what they used to spend on a whole 13, 14 part series. That is how expensive That's the VFX wild. are now. It's crazy. I wonder what this episode would have looked like if it was made in like 2008 cheap <laughs> I, don't think, I don't know if it would have been possible really in the same way um it would look like a sarah jane adventures episode is what it would look like my favorite shot as well i don't know if you spotted it the lift shot um nothing's actually moving no one's going in a lift in that shot they did confirm it's just the camera yeah. moving slightly down and there's someone lifting a bar over the camera <laughs> and there's another shot i don't know if you That's caught funny. where no one is actually moving which is in the lorry where they said that they had i was wondering crew from around the set were basically just like rattling the sides so they were sort of gently shaking because you see them kind of like just stuttering like this yeah, and you're like, everyone mm. was fake wobbling in that which is good yeah great fake wobbling great fake wobbling well i've got a couple of facts for you as well from the commentary so uh, they've confirmed that the boss meets boss we won't find out who that is during the anniversary specials because as soon as we heard it we both were like oh my god it's gonna be the toy maker and then i was like why is the toy maker the meets boss but david tennant actually said during the commentary that he doesn't know the outcome 
and he was told that he can enjoy it as a viewer. So we think that that's probably going to come potentially in shooty season. Uh, Speaking of shooty season, David Tennant also said on the commentary that the TARDIS interior that we now have for the 14th Doctor will be continued into the 15th Doctor's era. We won't be getting a new TARDIS for the 15th Doctor. Uh, On the commentary, he said, I went on set today, which was the day of recording the commentary episode, Mm. where Shooty and Millie were filming and it was a beautiful crane shot sort of passing across it. So we will be having this TARDIS interior for a while, which I love. I love it. I really like it. Next week, you can come back and you can enjoy Wild Blue Yonder with us. That is coming out in only two days oh, after we post this. God, I can't believe. Thick and fast, baby. What are we going to do when a full series drops? Oh my God. I'm going to be sick and I'm going to be very tired. Um, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm super, super excited. This is actually the one that I'm most excited for, I think, because we've seen so little and it promises to be a bit dark and scary. Um, yeah. And the fact that we've not seen very much, I think, is great going in blind. I've got no real expectations for what we're about to see. So, And as well, I think just getting the full hour, pretty much just Doctor and Donna together is is pretty wonderful. Well, this is the thing. I spent so much of this episode being like, oh, I can't wait for Donna to get her memories back because it'll be the Doctor and Donna, the Doctor and Donna. And to get that next week, I'm so excited. There's been, I don't want to say any spoilers, but there's been some TikToks going around of clips of this episode. And I'm very curious where the TARDIS has landed. That's all I'll say. Oh. Do you come back next week? And then the week after that, you know what happened? You know what's happening next week, Sam? We're getting Shooty Gatwar as the Doctor next week. Next week, oh, Shooty Gatwar as the Doctor. my golly i can't believe it well look before then we've got two whole weeks of david Tennant and Catherine take to enjoy and up two and we as always would love to hear from you please tweet us message us dm us on all of our platforms we're on twitter slash x instagram tiktok and threads all of which at hulalapod please send us your thoughts about this episode and next week's episode wild blue yonder you can also rewatch old episodes of the podcast on our YouTube channel at Hulala Pod. And if you'd like to support the pod, please do follow us wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening on, Spotify is most of you. And <laughs> leave us a review if you enjoy the pod. We really appreciate it. And otherwise, have a very lovely week. Yes, have a lovely week. Enjoy Wobbly Under, and we will see you right back here on Hulala Pod next Thursday. See you then, my darlings. Goodbye.